Hello. Hey, how's it going? Hey, it's going all right. It's going all right. How are you? I am good. We're going on vacation this week, so I am looking forward to being in a cabin on a beach. Oh, man, that sounds wonderful. Wonderful. Now, given the fact that you live in a landlocked state, however, what do you mean by beach? That's true. It is a lake, not an ocean, but it is a lake beach. Yeah. That will feel amazing. I'm kind of jealous that you get to do that, but very excited for you. Go get away and enjoy. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. But uh, how are you doing? Uh, good. It's nice to have it be Sunday, honestly, because it's been a busy week. I've had to work some extra goofy hours this week, and work hasn't been exactly easy, and we've had a lot to do in our personal lives, and so it's nice to finally be on a Sabbath day and chatting with you. That's awesome. Yes. An actual Sabbath day, which is another thing we got to talk about at some time. What is restful? Yeah. But today I was calling, I just haven't heard how your family is doing. I want to hear what's going on with your family. I want to hear how's life as a dad. Yeah, it's a great question. Being a dad uh, has been very intense lately, not because my kids are acting up and I have to solve you know, behavioral problems, but because... My kids are busy and active and they just, they're driving us from thing to thing to thing. And we're, we're very, very busy. We're a kind of a scattered family that really is trying to find moments to connect with one another. So yeah, I'd be happy to give you an update on all of that. And I want to hear about the same thing for you because you've got a teenager and a preteen and I imagine you're just as busy with them as I am with my kids. Yeah, absolutely. So having one going into eighth and one going into 10th, yes, I feel like I have spent the last school year being a taxi cab driver in the evenings. <laughs> yeah. You know, so my wife is a college professor and uh, most of the classes she teaches are in the evenings. And so I do a large, large chunk of the driving about and so I feel like I am driving to ninja practice or horseback riding or the babysitting job or the track meet or whatever so many of my evenings. My parents used to tease me about this. They would say that they were putting on their taxi cab driver hat and I never quite understood. And now this year I have understood for the first time. I spent so much time driving. Yeah, no doubt. And you're actually living a little bit further from the activities than you used to. You used to live and work and do your activities in like a five square mile radius when you lived on the East Coast. So I imagine you're having to get a whole new perspective on driving. Yes, it's so true. My daughter's horseback riding is very close. It's probably three and a half miles away. As a matter of fact, I run by it on my long run days. But my son's American Ninja Warrior Ninja Gym place is 
probably 25 minutes away, which for me is really far. I feel like for you, that's quite close. But for me, that's just painfully far. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, living where I do, you know, we live in the country, kind of well out of town. And so for us to do anything, I mean, if we only have to be in the car for 25 minutes, it feels like it's just down the street for us. Most of the time, we're 30 to 45 minutes. Me personally, just to get to work is an hour. So yeah, I live in the car and I am not happy at all about the gas prices these days because it's really killing us. Yes, it is very, very expensive. So would you say that captures a major chunk of parenting for you? Just driving about and being at activities? It does. It ends up being how we spend our time quite a bit. And it's it's fun. It's fun to cheer our kids on with whatever they're doing. My daughter played softball this year. She's so you you said the ages of your kids. My oldest is 18 and is graduating this year and just a couple of weeks as as of this recording. My daughter is just finishing up her sophomore year and about to turn 16 and get her license and go into her junior year. And my youngest son is just finishing up seventh grade and will be going into eighth grade. He just competed in the state track meet at shot put. And so it was fun to watch him do shot put, a brand new sport for him. And actually he did very well for, you know, picking up the sport and just running with it. And he's been doing it a grand total of two months. And (laughs) did you say, sorry, when you're talking about track and field and what he's doing is shot put saying he picked it up and ran with it is just a very funny idiom to choose. (laughs) (laughs) That does put a hilarious image in my head. Okay, so no, he did absolutely no running. He did not like to run, but he likes to throw things. And he's a pretty strong kid, so he did great. He placed 15th out of 32 in state as a 7th grader, and he was competing against primarily 8th graders. So he's very, very motivated to train over the offseason and you know, take a shot at winning state next year. So, wow. So did you have to like buy him a shot put or something? Or is he just, I mean, you guys live on a farm. Is he, is he just throwing whatever thing he can find? (laughs) Uh, He's not doing that. I guess with shot put proper form is actually to kind of press the shot up against your neck and it kind of rubs it a little bit raw. So I don't imagine anything short of a shot put would even be tolerable. So. No, but he does intend to buy one. We're just trying to figure out what size because high school uses a 12-pound shot and at state he used an eight-pound shot. And so do you try to get something in the middle or do you just train with like the high school one and get used to that and then just feel amazing when you come to the eight-pound one? So I don't know. Well, anyway, yes, we'll have to buy a shot. That's the short answer. That's awesome. Uh, Yeah. But as a parent, you asked just as a parent, I think I'm learning to live with imperfection as a parent. And I think that is just the general parenting experience is just learning to live with imperfection, whether it be your own imperfection as a parent or what we often experience in addition to that is just the imperfect circumstances, right? 
I wish we had more time together. I wish we didn't have these other things that we had to run to. I wish I didn't have to work these hours because it really impacts my ability to do X, Y, or Z. I wish we had the money to do this. I wish, you know, all of these different things, like life is just imperfect and therefore most things don't correlate to your perfect image of what life ought to be as a parent. And we're just trying to learn to live with that as I think we always have been trying to learn to live with that. That's my general experience these days. Mm. So give me an example of that. What does that look like in day-to-day life? Because that that could look like a lot of different things. Yeah, it, it could look like a lot of different things. I think one example is probably my work schedule. And this has always been true. I have been working in the 911 industry for over 12 years. So my youngest son is 13. He knows no other life than dad working shift work. And shift work is hard on a family. Sometimes I miss out on activities because I have to sleep or because I have to go to work or I've been forced in for overtime. And sometimes I miss holiday events because in the first response world, you don't get holidays off. There is no such thing. You you have to keep going. And so if your shift falls on 4th of July or if it falls on Christmas or it falls on your kid's birthday, that's just what it is. And yeah, sure, you can work to get certain days off, but sometimes it just doesn't work out. So you end up missing a lot of big events because of shift work. And so it takes its toll on a family. And oftentimes there's this sadness that I wish life were different than it is. I wish I didn't have to go to work right now or this day, or I didn't have to sleep right now. That's that's been a lot of our experience as a family for the last 12 years. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. I hadn't thought about it like that, but it I would struggle. I don't know that you necessarily do, or maybe you do, but I would struggle prioritizing sleep, even though I know it's a healthy, good modeling thing to do as a parent, knowing that there were like other things going on. That would be emotionally really complicated for me. It absolutely is. And it's a day-by-day, moment-by-moment decision, what's going to win out, the family activity at hand, or my sleep. And sometimes one loses and the other wins, and it's just situation-dependent. And it's, you know, I'm not a great parent when I've chosen to prioritize family over sleep too many times in a row. By the end of it, everybody's ready for me just to go to bed. (laughs) So, uh, you know, eventually it evens out, I guess. I don't know. It's, it's a hard calculus to do. No, this, this makes a a kind of sense to me. I am, I think the, the corollary for me of that experience is I am wildly introverted and I need a lot of alone time. And if I don't get it, I am honestly a cranky person. Like I am snippy about little things. I get really, really black and white and very abrupt in the way that I talk. And so if an issue arises, instead of hearing the other people out, I'll just be like, nope, we're doing this. Mm. And I don't feel that way 
I don't see myself that way in those moments. I need to be told that that's what I'm doing. And so there are oftentimes, as a parent, I am having to choose alone time, reading a book, something like that. And it feels weird, but if I don't choose it, I am just a cranky parent and not pleasant to be around. However you said that, I it struck a chord with me that choosing the family activity doesn't always make me a better parent. <laughs> yeah, which is uh, a little counterintuitive, but yeah, for sure. I There have been plenty of times where my family's looked at me and said, yeah, you're, you're tired. Could, could you just leave us alone? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. But what about you? What are you experiencing as a parent at this stage of life with your kids and your family? Speaking of counterintuitive, I have found the most valuable parenting experiences to be the driving I do with my son to his ninja stuff. It's twice a week, 20 to 25 minutes in the car one way, so I get almost a couple of hours of drive time with him every week. That is one-on-one time with nothing else to do but talk, maybe listen to music. I have found that to be so incredibly valuable from a parenting perspective that I have to find ways to make up for the fact that I don't have that opportunity with my daughter because her horseback riding lessons are like five minutes away. Um, Mm. If I'm thinking about what does it mean to be a parent of kids who are ending middle school and beginning high school, at least my two, it seems to me that all I've got is conversations. We are at the end of the age where I can physically force my kids to do what I want them to do. There was an age where that was all there, you know, like when they're a baby, you kind of have (laughs) to physically move them, right? And from baby to my kid's age, there is a transition that happens wildly gradually of slowly but surely you surrender the right as a parent or the capacity as a parent to force your will upon the other person. You know, we had this moment with my son just a couple days ago, and he did not want to do what I wanted him to do. And I looked at him and I said, look, I have the capacity to force you. Like I can, I can pull you out of the car and make you do what I want you to do. But I, I think we're both better than that. I'm going to give you a minute, and I need you to make the decision to do what I'm telling you to do. If you don't, I'm going to have to have there be consequences, but I would rather this just end with you bringing yourself into alignment. And I turned around and waited, and within the minute, he had opened the door, and he was out of the car, and on with what we were doing. And it was the kind of situation that has historically been very complicated for me to figure out how to parent him in. And it was cool to see this one be a win, but it also was interesting 
to acknowledge the final loss of control in that Mm. moment. I'm not forcing you to do anything anymore. So if you decide to put your back up and fight me on this, okay. Yeah. That was an interesting spot to be in. Yeah, I feel similarly, you know, with uh, my oldest graduating high school, and he just turned 18. So there's a whole nother layer of letting go and really moving to a role of influencer and moving to a role that is somewhat influencer where he wants influenced. And if he doesn't want influence in a particular area, that, you know, I don't always have the right to speak up. Yeah. Thankfully, he trusts us and allows us to influence a lot of different things. But, you know, like this summer, he's going to be working at a farm, like a berry farm. He has to get up early in the morning and work until it's too hot to work. And then he'll have a few hours break And then he'll be going and working at a pizza place in the evening, which he's been working at this pizza place for a number of months now. But he would prefer to not work at that pizza place. And so if he could find some other thing that would take that place, he'd like to do that. And he explored an option this week where he was like, oh, I could do this and it would they could potentially get me a bunch of hours and I could just not work at the berry farm and not work at this pizza place. I could just do this. And I thought, well, you've kind of already promised yourself to the berry farm. He says, I know, but I haven't signed papers. Well, I agree, you haven't signed papers, but you have made a commitment to them that you will work for them this summer. I said, we live in a small town, and you've gotten where you have based on your reputation as a hard worker. If you also destroy your reputation by being finicky and not actually following through with the things that you commit to, that's really going to hurt your reputation. Yeah, okay, I understand. So, you know, it's an influence kind of thing, but I can't tell him where he's going to work and what he's going to do and how he's going to spend his time. He's got to figure that out. So it's a whole nother layer of influence versus, uh, you know, the classic control. parenting as like, yeah, control, as you can do with a small child and, and need to do with a small child, quite honestly. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's we've had several of these where we're taking practice steps towards this uh, with both my kids. And uh, with both of them, there have been moments where I've said, hey, I want you to know I'm not going to enforce something here. I'm going to tell you what I think is wisest and then I'm going to let you choose, but I'm not going to enforce. I'm not going to force you to choose. And sometimes they do not pick what I want. And I find that to be very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. I think somehow I still believe that their well-being completely depends on the one situation we're in right now. And I think that puts a false weight on the moment. I don't know that I've ever thought that before, but as I'm thinking about it talking to you, I definitely think... I mentally put too much pressure on the individual moment right now. We have to get this one right. Because what if we don't? What is that going to mean for your character? What is that going to mean for your faith? What is that going to mean for your long-term relationship with Jesus or your personal development or whatever? 
forgetting that this one moment exists in the context of lots of other moments and that it is the trend of all the moments that matters, not this one. Does that make sense? Yeah, it 100% makes sense. And I completely agree. And I think that fits in some of my reflections that I've had lately as my kids are getting older in thinking that I am just generally pleased with who they are and who they're becoming. There are other aspects that, sure, I would love to shore up this or fix that or, you know, there there are things I would like them to be working on. But in the big picture, I just like my kids. I, I think they're fantastic mm. human beings. And I understand that the teen years can go a lot of different ways. And I feel very lucky that Shelly and I genuinely like our kids. They're just they're just fun. And we haven't had an overabundance of extreme teen moments. We've had a few, but it's been overall good. And I think about that in terms of them, you know, potentially going off to college or doing whatever it is they do after high school. And I think to myself, even if they don't shore up these other things that I'd like to see fixed, in the grand scheme of things, am I happy with who they are as a human being and a disciple of Jesus? And right now the answer is yes. And that really makes me happy. Yeah, no, I have the same experience. I, as funny as a thing to say this, but I like my kids a lot. And... I like very different things about them because they are very unique and individual people. But you're absolutely right. It is a huge, wonderful thing to like and enjoy my kids. We have plenty of moments where I'm like, come on, stop doing that. You've done that a million times. Just stop it. Come on. No, we've, we've dealt with this. Come on. Like lots of corrective moments. But man, it is nice to have that offset by, at the end of the day, I enjoy you. Mm -hmm. Which, if I'm being 100% honest, I have always been wildly passionate about parenting. Like, I know that parenting isn't everybody's favorite thing in the world, but I care about it a lot. But the, like, zero to five age stuff... I don't know that I always liked my kids at that stage. Uh, am I allowed to say that? Like, <laughs> well, you know, you know, part of my story, right? And that for the first ten years of life for my oldest, and he knows this up and down. We've talked about it so much. For the first ten years of his life, he was really, really challenging to parent. I mean, extraordinarily challenging, and. I know that this individual has done some terrible things, so I don't want to praise this person for what they've done, but Bill Cosby has a routine that talks about how George Washington's dad didn't get enough credit when he had to confront his son about chopping down a cherry tree. And you know what that man did? He let him live. He didn't know he was the George Washington. And Shelly and I used to joke about it and say, well, he better be the Logan Jacobson because honestly, we're letting him live right now. And that is a feat all in of itself. So 
I totally hear you. There are times where liking your child and loving your child are distinct things. <laughs> yeah. So I am very pleased with the experience that I'm having now of genuinely liking all of my children. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. The first couple seasons of parenting feel to me, looking back on them, like a marathon. It's just this long, exhausting slog that is the real question is am i going to keep the line drawn where i drew the line even though i am utterly exhausted of redrawing the line in the exact same place at the exact same time over and 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 over again i just remember that experience of keeping boundaries to be just tough yeah. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, I'll tell you something else I'm enjoying about parenting, and I quite frankly always have, and that is doing it with my wife. Mm. She is a fantastic mother. She just is so committed to the family and to doing what is necessary for the family. She's so wise and judicious with the kids, and she just She's so relational, both with them and with their friends. She follows their stories. She follows their lives. And especially with teenagers, right? Your Their friend group is their world. And she knows that world. She knows what's going on with, with everybody and knows the dynamics in the groups. And especially my daughter's group of friends, they all call her mom and they walk across the school to give her hugs. And it's like, oh, your mom gives the best hugs. I have to get a hug from your mom. This is just who she is. And my kids adore her for it. And I, one of the things that I appreciate with the schedule that I'm on now, I have to get up really early in the morning. Most of the time I have to get up at 3.30 in the morning to get to work. Sometimes I even have to get up at midnight 30 to get to work. And those are horrible days. Ugh. So I have to go to bed really early is the point. And teenagers, my teenagers at least, and I imagine this is true of all of them, teenagers don't wake up until about 9 p.m. And all of a sudden, they become chatterboxes and they want to tell you everything about their life. And I'm long asleep by 9 p.m. I miss those moments. I don't get the download that she does. She will, regardless of how early she has to be up the next day, she will stay up late and take in that download and make sure that she's enveloped in her kids' world and understands what's going on. She, I don't know. I appreciate that we're doing this together because our kids deserve to be heard and I can't always be there to hear them. And she can, and she does a great job at it. And so I, I love doing this with her. You know, this is a great point. I am also wildly grateful for my wife. I cannot imagine continually liking any other human being for the amount of time I have continually liked my wife, uh, <laughs> given the amount of interaction we have. Uh, she's similar to what you were saying about uh, your wife. She is just an extraordinary parent. And what's been interesting for me over time is to see the ways in which we parent differently and how that is a good thing. Yeah. This was a slow revelation for me. We very naturally fall into 
our own roles as parents. She is much more gentle, much more gracious, much more compassionate. I am much more strict. I am much more intense. I am much more black and white. And within those two roles, it would be very easy for me, and was at a time, very easy for me to look at the way she parented and say, why are you compromising in this moment? That's not what's good for our kids. Our kids need to know that we're in charge. Hmm. And there came a moment where she very graciously pulled me aside because one of our personal rules is we should not correct each other in front of our kids. Yeah. That's a reasonable rule that I was periodically breaking because I didn't understand why she was doing what she was doing. And she she pulled me aside and said, hey, you know, I, I think the kids need two different parents and I think that's okay. And I had just never thought about that. I think about that conversation that we had all the time, and I think it's absolutely right. It's really good to be able to let, to recognize honestly that God put two parents in the situation for a reason, and that therefore I can trust that when she's being her and I'm being me, that's what's great for our kids. Yeah. And I, I want to clarify I know you guys, and I know that. While acknowledging that truth, I also know that you guys are wildly on the same team as parents. And so I don't think you're saying that, you know, I go my way and you go your way. And, That's you know, excellent that, point. Yeah. I, I think you guys are still on the same team. 100%. And we would only be seen as very different parents by people who share our philosophy of parenting. We agree on 95% of things. And one of those things, as you're saying, is that the most important part of parenting is for the two parents to be on the same team. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and I love that. I love knowing that we're on the same team. I like being on a team with her because she's pretty incredible. Right, right. I, I know the experience. And it's funny because I've described the impact that my shift work has on life. And so there are periods of time where work seems to be winning out. And I feel very out of touch with the family and I feel very out of step. And I don't quite know what's been going on or what permission's been given about this or that. And the kids will say something about an event or ask a question or something. And I'll just say something or I'll react in a certain way. And they'll say, oh my gosh, mom said the exact same thing. Not that they were double yes. asking, but I just had the exact same words come out of my mouth in relationship to that event as she did. And it just, they find it funny. The kids find it funny. Like, oh my gosh, do you guys just share a brain? And it's so gratifying in those moments to be like, okay, no, no, no. We really are on the same team. Even if we haven't been in the same space for a few days and I don't mm -hmm. feel on the same page, we're clearly on the same page. And that feels really good. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's funny. Switching topics here a little bit, as I'm thinking about parenting, one other thing that I've noticed, and I, I'm curious if you feel this way as well, we have had very erratic seasons of doing like the obvious spiritual things as a family. 
you know, like a family devotions or something like that. We've had seasons where we did that and seasons where we didn't. We definitely never drive to church together, though we all arrive generally at the same time-ish. When we're at church, we are spread across the building doing a variety of different things. But the thing that I have found that I find interesting is that the real place where Jesus shows up for me with my kids being the ages they are is in the random questions that they ask that I love. Like I was making a list of all the topics that I have had a conversation with my kids about in the last week. And that list includes education, homosexuality, divorce, male privilege, the Bible, so many different things. And for me, and I guess this speaks to what is important to me about having a relationship with Jesus, it's not the things that are sectioned off that are explicitly Christian that are the things that matter to me. It is thinking as a follower of Jesus about all these other things. Does that make sense? Oh, man, I'm so glad to hear you say that because I live my life that way, and I agree But I have to say, those periods of time, and they really, quite frankly, outweigh the the other side, those periods of time when we're not doing family devotionals are hugely guilt-producing. I feel like a complete Mm -hmm. failure as the spiritual head of the house, if you want to go there, or as just as a parent, if you want to say it more egalitarian-like. I feel like that is something we as a family should do, and we've done it, and it's been uh, enjoyable. And then there have been seasons of our lives where we haven't done it for whatever reason, and I just feel nothing but massive guilt. But one thing that has been true throughout, throughout the whole thing is thinking about life as a Christian and having, as you said, these random conversations. And going back to your statement earlier about talking in the car, I feel like particularly in the car... We have these amazing, mm. amazing conversations about a variety of different topics, sometimes really, really hard topics. Those are just so, so good. Yeah. And it's interesting, as you say that about the car, we also have great conversations in the car. And if I look back, I also had great conversations with my mom and dad in the car. Mm. There is something about car time that is valuable So much so that I instinctively don't let the kids be on their devices in the car, unless we're in like, like not in a super religious way, but like if we're going, like when we go on vacation in a couple of days, it's like an hour, hour and 20 minute drive. That's fine. They want to be on their devices. I don't care. But if we're just going quick point A to point B, it's a 15, 20 minute drive. That feels too important to me. I don't want to surrender that to the phone. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're 100% right. It's such good time. Uh, But speaking of time, I want to make sure we have time to talk about our thoughts and what else is going on, because I could talk about my kids and parenting forever because it consumes so much of my time but Mm. and so much of yours. But what else are you thinking about? What else is on your mind? Well, uh, I am, as you know, a huge fantasy and science fiction fan. Uh, 
And I think I have mentioned on the recording before that uh, one of my favorite authors is a fantasy author named Brandon Sanderson. And I was reading a short story of his this week. Do you know, know the sort of basic science fiction trope that the advanced civilization that is traveling the stars runs into an undeveloped civilization that is bound to a particular planet, and therefore they don't intervene because they don't want to mess up the planet's development. Like, does that trope ring a bell for you? I'm not in this world enough. That's what I was wondering. Yeah, but it it makes sense. It makes sense. Okay, so this is a fairly major science fiction premise. So one of the things Sanderson likes to do is flip the trope on its head. So he writes this story about this conservative guy in this world that has been visited by extraterrestrials who have high-tech stuff. He's part of a not technologically savvy civilization. And furthermore, he is one of the old guard that does not want to move forward. And it is this exploration of how would it feel to be on the other side of this? And the thing that I was thinking about, because as a science fiction reader who has run into this trope a million times from the other side, flipping it on its head like this, one of the things it got me thinking about that is one of the reasons I love stories is that it fosters empathy. We talked a little bit about this when we were talking about reading about nonfiction, but the reason I love fiction a lot is that I get to see the world through the eyes of other people who are very different from me, who would make very different choices from me. And I get to practice, as it were, letting them be themselves and me not feeling like I have to judge them. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it does, especially since I just finished a fiction book. Not even, not just that, a science fiction book and had a similar experience of just being able to see the world through their eyes and really enjoying that process. So it not only makes sense with me, I actually finished that book this morning. So it's very much on my mind. So yeah, sounds great. Awesome. Well, what about you? What are you thinking about? Well, so there's this saying in, uh, well, there's a saying, I don't know what circles to name the saying, but there's a saying that says, the imperative always follows the indicative. And that's just a saying in Bible scholarship or Bible study that basically says, when God gives a command, when there's an imperative in scripture, it is always followed by, it was, it's always preceded by a statement of reality, a statement of fact. And so it's always in light of this, do that. And it's a fairly standard theme, and we see it throughout Scripture, and I believe that that is true. But I also think that it is very much an Enlightenment-centered thought. We very much think in terms of linear terms, and 
my brain is very much engaged in this, in this linear terms. And okay, tell me what I need to do. But what if, and I want to know how often this is true in scripture, but I think it's at least true in the verses that I'm about to read. What if the contemplative follows the indicative? What if we're supposed to just think about that? And here's where I get that. So this is Hebrews 12, and and everybody is familiar with Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, very famous verses. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So that was the NIV's take on uh, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. We're all familiar with it. But here is the very next word in verse 3. Consider. Mm. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The verse is literally telling us, yeah, think about that. And for a reason, like, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The contemplative, in this case, the contemplative follows the indicative. And I'd really like to know if that's a broader pattern in Scripture that I personally have missed. I think there's much more contemplative requirements to our faith, then, then, then I often give it credit. Oh, I absolutely think that's true. I think that that goes against the sort of enlightenment way of thinking. But I also think it goes against the very busy, hectic, good people are in a rush American thinking, mm. right? Stop and think. That is a powerful, powerful, very anti-cultural statement. Yes. Yes. It makes me think of the title of a book that you referenced earlier on the podcast, In Praise of a Useless Life. Mm. Because sitting there and thinking, you know, if you were to take this verse literally, consider him who endured such opposition, just consider. That's a very seemingly useless thing to do. You're just sitting there thinking. But that's what you're yeah. told to do. So good. Good, good. Well, I want to invite others to share what they're thinking about as well. So I want to invite folks, actually, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Just search in those respective things for On the Phone with Josh. That's where you're going to find some of our Which Josh questions. You're going to find just a I don't know, some silly things about us and life. We'll talk about the show a little bit, but it's uh, it's kind of the more lighthearted side of us on, on those things. But then we want you to go to Reddit and really share your thoughts with us. What are you thinking about? What is uh, your experience as a parent, if you are one, or of other parents in your life? And tell us what else you're thinking about, about scripture, about contemplating, about any of the things that we've had a chance to talk about. We want to hear from you, and we want to expand the conversation. Yes, and uh, I think this last week we posted a Witch Josh question 
And it was, which Josh has never read the Bible straight through? And that is me. I have been a pastor for 18 years. I've been following Jesus for 30 some odd years. I have read all the verses in the Bible, but I have never started the Bible in Genesis and read all the way to Revelation. I have never read the Bible in a year. I have tried 502 different times. (laughs) I just, that has never been a thing that worked for me. And because of conversations we've had in the past, I think you have discouraged brand new Christians from attempting that very thing because it is so incredibly hard to do and it's so easy to get bogged down. That is true. I have actively discouraged new Christians from doing that because I am concerned that there is a probability of failure that will result in giving up. I think you're wise to do that, by the way. I'm not poking fun. Good, because I think I'm wise to do that too. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, on that note, uh, shall we uh, <laughs> Shall we experience your wisdom again next week? I certainly hope so. All right. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Talk to you later. Okay. Bye.